Hey everyone, welcome back to Interior and Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today to have Liz Jackson and Justin Mooney. We're going to be talking about divine credences and probing the mind of God, and we're going to have an epic debate that's going to get really nasty, and just stay tuned for that, um, talking about like different views on probing the mind of God. So Liz, Justin, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super pumped. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm excited for this this epic debate. <laughs> get ready. I need to get some crazy thumbnail that makes it seem super intense. So I got to think about that <laughs> over the next couple of days. Um, but in case there may not be a crazy debate, but we are going to be talking about um, their paper that they put together on the mind of God and divine credences. So we're going to overview the four views, and then we're going to talk about um, Liz and Justin are talking about the views that they see as most plausible. And there's going to be a little bit of pushback and discussion. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So anything either you want to say before we dive into the different views? I don't think so. I think we can just go in. All right. Sounds good. So when we're talking about um, different views with regarding like the nature of God, um, let's just dive right, in, right into it. So the first one is the belief only view. Yeah, absolutely. So this paper is kind of about like, yeah, God's mind, probing God's mind. And then it's it's kind of laying out different views you might have about what kinds of mental states God with God would have with a focus on the epistemic ones. So belief, knowledge, and then credence. So maybe I'll briefly just say what a credence is. Um, so a credence is sort of like a level of confidence. Um, and often credences are put on a scale from one to zero, where zero means you're maximally confident something's false, and one means you're maximally confident something's true. So, you know, my credence that one plus one equals two is like one or very close to one. Um, and then my credence that, you know, it's 75 degrees in, you know, uh, in the middle of Antarctica right now is is pretty close to zero, maybe not quite zero, but but yeah. So it's basically just a, a way to kind of measure your confidence levels, sort of like a probability. And so people have talked about like with humans, it's like, you know, do we believe things? Do we have credences? What, how do those relate to each other? And then how does all of that relate to knowledge? And what we're doing is we're taking a lot of those questions and debates and then trying to apply them to God. So that's kind of the the basics of the paper. And I guess the other thing I'll say is like kind of what we do in the paper is since this hasn't actually been written on very much, we actually outline um, seven different views is what we end up outlining, although we're kind of lumping some together. So we're kind of focusing on four. Um, and then we, Justin and I each have like a view we like. So we kind of rank the views and we say, well, we like these two the best. And then these ones are okay, but like these ones suck. So don't believe these ones. So, so that's kind of what the paper does. It's a little bit of just like laying out the land, but then we also we give some opinions. So we'll get to those opinions in a second. Um, but yeah, so in terms of the the views, the first view we talk about, like you said, Zach, is the belief only view. Um, and so this is the view that God has beliefs and no credences at all. Okay, so you might say, why would someone have this view? Well, the thought is God knows things. That's kind of a, a natural starting point for a lot of people. God knows that we're recording a podcast right now. God knows that pi is 3.141, you know, so God knows things. And traditionally, when epistemologists have tried to define knowledge or given definitions of knowledge, it's thought that if you know something, you believe it. So knowledge includes belief. So if God knows things, the thought is, if we're going to kind of go with a traditional definition of knowledge, God believes things. So that's kind of a, a simple way to get to this idea that God has beliefs. And then you might say, well, the view is that God only has beliefs. So God doesn't have credences. What would motivate that kind of view? Why would we think God has like beliefs things, but doesn't have levels of confidence? 
And so then the thought is, well, if God already has these perfectly accurate beliefs about every single proposition or statement, why would God need credences? Um, God, you know, for every true proposition believes and knows that it's true, for every false proposition believes and knows that it's false. So that's sort of the belief only view. We ultimately think this isn't a plausible view and I can kind of get into that in a second when I talk about the second view. Is yeah, thanks, Liz. <laughs> yeah, I think that's good. Um, so maybe you want to dive into just like looking in like at the belief in credence view as well. So yeah, thanks for doing it. Yeah, so this might be a little bit longer because there's a couple views within this view. So I'm talking about two views. Justin's talking about two views. Um, but this belief and credence view actually divides into four views. So I'm not going to talk mm -hmm. about all of them in detail, but that's how we get the seven. It's one and then Liz's two, three, four, five. <laughs> and then Justin will talk about the last two. Um, so we, we kind of saw from the last few, you might think like, well, God has beliefs. Why would God also have levels of confidence um, or credences? And I, I won't talk about everything we say in the paper here because um, A, you can read the paper. B, we actually did another interview on the Analytic Christian channel where we go into this in more detail. So check that out if you want more detail. Um, but here's one reason to think that God wouldn't just have beliefs, but would also have levels of confidence. Um, this can capture the idea that God is maximally confident and has perfect evidence that certain things are true. So we can get into open theism in a second, but let's just assume the argument for every true prop proposition, God um, you know, knows it's true with certainty. For every false proposition, God knows it's false with certainty. Um, if God only has beliefs, it's not totally clear where we get that with certainty part because you believe things that you're certain of. I believe one plus one equals two, and I'm pretty dang certain of that. <laughs> but, you know, I also believe that it will rain tomorrow because there's a 90% chance of rain in the forecast. I believe my car is parked in front of my house, but I haven't checked in a couple hours, you know? So, so just because you believe something, you don't always get that certainty element with it. So one reason to think there's God has beliefs and credences, so you can explain how God is, doesn't just believe, but is actually certain in all the propositions that God knows. Um, we give a couple of the reasons to think God has credences in the paper, but I'm going to skip over that, but check the, the paper out for sure if you're interested. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me. Um, so let's, let's talk briefly about sort of the four views the belief and credence view falls into. So again, the view that God has both beliefs and credences or levels of confidence. Um, so basically the views split into different um, views depending on whether you think the beliefs reduce to the credences or the credences reduce to the beliefs or neither reduces to the other. Um, and so on the belief first view, God's credences reduce to God's beliefs. So God does have both, but the credences um, are the beliefs or um, yeah, in, in some way are grounded in or reduced to the beliefs. Um, and then there's a view on which God's God has both beliefs and credences, but God's beliefs reduce to God's credences. Um, there's two versions of that view. So I'm actually going to talk in a second about the one I like, but I'll just say the last view, which is what we call divine dualism, because there's two things they don't reduce to the other. So the view God has both beliefs and credences and God's beliefs and credences are, are irreducible. They don't reduce to each other. So in the paper, we talk about some reasons. Actually, remind me, Justin, do we, are we favorable to the belief first view? We kind of are, right? Yeah. Like we say it's decently plausible. 
Yeah, I, actually, I was just noticing today the three views that we're most favorable toward are yours, mine, and Andrew Moon. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so actually, some of the objections that me and you will raise to each other in a second, Andrew may not be subject to. So the belief first view may have some things going for it. We'll get to that in a second. I'm not really going to talk much about that just for the sake of time. Um, dualism, we talk about reasons that divine dualism, which is actually the view I hold about humans. Um, we talk about the, some reasons it's not super plausible in the divine case. Basically, a lot of the reasons you would think humans have both beliefs and credences and they don't reduce to each other, they don't apply to God. Um, so that's, again, that's a brief a brief summary of it. So we're left with the view that God has both beliefs and credences um, and God's beliefs reduce to God's credences. So in other words, um, whether God believes something is sort of a function of God's levels of confidence. And there's sort of two versions of this view. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this just so I can kind of explain the view that I like. The first view would be that God fundamentally just has credences and then God believes something if God's credence in that is above some threshold, but less than one. So maybe God believes everything that God's at least 0.9 confident in. And on some versions of open theism, um, there are things that God's something like 0.9 confident in. Um, maybe three undetermined acts about the future. So whether I'll have Cheerios for breakfast, maybe I normally have Cheerios for breakfast about nine out of ten days. But sometimes I go for the Fruit Loops, you know. I think Fruit Loops are probably better than Cheerios, mm -hmm. but you know, um, so <laughs> just hypothetically, if God, if open theism is true, and that's a free undetermined decision, then God might have like a 0.9 credence that'll have Cheerios for breakfast. So on the threshold view, because God meets that 0.9 threshold, God would also believe that I'll have Cheerios for breakfast. But if God had like a 0.5 credence in something like that, a coin would land heads or, um, you know, even lower than that, God wouldn't believe those things. God would just have a credence in them, uh, maybe have a different belief attitude towards them, but not belief. So so that's the threshold view. And then the belief is credence one view is actually similar, but it just thinks that the threshold is one. So God only believes things that God has a credence of one in. Um, so those are sort of the two views where God's credences are more fundamental. The reason I like the credence one view, and I actually think Justin agrees with this too, even though Justin ultimately likes another view the best, but in terms of comparing these views, I think you would say the credence one view is more plausible. That's because if God believes something, but has only a 0.9 credence in it, let's go back to the Cheerios example. Let's say God believes I'll have Cheerios for breakfast tomorrow, but has only a 0.9 credence or confidence in it. Um, God risks having a false belief, right? Because the the kind of idea behind uh, there's there's a 0.9 chance I'll have cheers for breakfast. What that sort of means is that there's some chance I don't have cheers for breakfast. There's some chance I have Fruit Loops or some other cereal, right? Um, and so if God believes I'll have cheers for breakfast and I don't end up having cheers for breakfast, that looks like a problem for omniscience. That looks like a a problem for the idea that all of God's beliefs are true. So. So that's one thing I really like about the belief is credence. One view is that you don't run into this problem. God is only going to believe something if God is maximally confident of it. And on non-open theist views or um, views on which God is confident, maximally confident in all truths and maximally unconfident in all falsehoods, um, God's just going to have 
all only credences of one or zero, all the credences of zero God disbelieves, all the credences of one God believes. But if you are an open theist, I think this view also can nicely accommodate open theism without God's risking having a false belief, because God might have a variety of credences that are not one or zero, but God wouldn't have corresponding beliefs, so those beliefs wouldn't be false. Is that is that clear? Do I need to say anything more to clarify anything? Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. One of the things, like, even when I listened to your original interview, one of the yeah. things I was trying to, like, understand was, like, trying to flesh out, like, so what models of God, like, kind of fit with different views? So, like, I was thinking, like, um, like if we want to say, like, God has, like, exhaustive foreknowledge or something like that, um, or, like, the probability of him, like, where he has beliefs, like, he, it's either, like, a credence of one or a credence of zero. Um, I was thinking, like, what kind of views fit with that kind of view? Because it seems like to me, like, um, it seems hard to have credence, and maybe this will get into the discussion more, but it's hard to me to see, like, so if there's credences, um, to me, like, initially that implied, like, it had to be, like, a non-zero, but also it can't be one number. Um, so are you saying that's not necessarily the case? You can kind of have a different like a, a view of God where there is that exhaustive foreknowledge and still have this view? Great question. I like that you bring this up because it actually brings out something I, I didn't say, but I think is an important part of the paper, which is part of what we're trying to do is actually make these views of God's mental states consistent with either the exhaustive definite foreknowledge view or the, the more open theistic views. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't, we're, we're kind of trying to say a view is better if it doesn't force you to, you know, commit to open theism or commit to open theisms being false, you know? So we're, mm -hmm. we're saying that more ecumenical views, they're at least all else equal sort of privileged. Um, and, and, and that's a nice question. So you might think, well, then should we just be belief only people? Because if, if God has exhaustive definite foreknowledge, what's the point in bringing in credences? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely important to realize that for humans, probably most of our credences are not zero or one, but they're kind of somewhere in between. Um, even like even arguably stuff like one plus one equals two, like that's pretty dang close to one, maybe one. But like, what if an evil demon demon is deceiving us about math and logic? I mean, that might seem silly, but the thought is like one is like credence one is like maximal certainty. Like I could not be wrong about this no matter what. So I don't have credence one that like there's a desk in front of me right now because um, we could be in the matrix. My credence is very close to one, but it's not quite one. However, I think for God, it is plausible that on an exhaustive definite foreknowledge view, God has credences and they're all zero or one. And again, the reason the credences are important is because those credences um, kind of represent this idea that God is maximally confident in the things that God believes. So God doesn't just believe that uh, there's a desk in front of me right now. God is certain of that, right? Um, God doesn't just disbelieve that it's sunny in Antarctica right now. God is certain of that. So I, I also believe that, but I'm not, not as certain as God because my evidence is not as good as God's because God has access to like way better evidence than I do, maybe obviously, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I think it's important to realize just because you, you're not an open theist, that's not the only reason you might think God has credences. I think the exhaustive definite definite foreknowledge folks. I, I'm I'm probably not an open theist. I'm not like, oh, it's a horrible view or anything, but I'm not like, I'm not like a hardcore open theist or anything like that, but I'm very open to the idea that God has credences. I just think they're probably all one or zero. Um, so, and then in the, and again, in the paper, when we're kind of trying to accommodate open theism, it's again, just because we think the views that are compatible with more views um, are better because they're more ecumenical. So they don't force us to sort of take a stand on other debates. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you want to add to that, Justin? 
No, that seemed good to me. Um, shall I do the next two views? Sounds good. Okay, so Liz just covered the belief-only view and the belief and credence view, which has like those four different versions. So then the next view we think about in the paper is, well, what if God has only credences and no beliefs? Um, so this is kind of a weird view, but uh, why might somebody think this? Well, you might be moved by some of the reasons we give for thinking that maybe God has credences. Like uh, the one that Liz talked about was, well, doesn't it seem like God is, you know, confident to like a maximal degree in the things that are true? Um, and to make sense of that, it seems like we're going to need credences, right? So you might think, okay, well, then God has credences. But then you might also think like, well, if God has credences, does God also need beliefs? Uh, and you might think maybe not. Um, for us, you know, there are reasons why it's important that we have beliefs in addition to credences, some people think. But it's not clear that those reasons carry over to God, or at least you might be skeptical about that. Um, particularly if you think that all of God's credences are one or zero, um, because one of the things we say in the paper is that credences of one seem to be able to play the same role that beliefs do for us. Um, I think we said that anyway. I hope I'm getting there. <laughs> um, but anyway, okay, so so you might be attracted for these kinds of reasons to the thought that, oh, okay, maybe God has credences but no beliefs. Um, now, in order to hold this view, you do have to deal with the problem of, well, why um, or how is it that God can be omniscient if God doesn't have any beliefs? Because normally knowledge is analyzed in such a way that it entails belief. And so if God doesn't have any beliefs, then God doesn't know anything. Um, and the way to get around this, we think, or the, the way that we talk about in the paper is um, you can, there is this view developed by Sarah Moss that says, oh, you can have knowledge or at least something very like knowledge that involves, instead of beliefs meeting certain conditions, it involves credences meeting certain analogous conditions. And if you take that view of knowledge, then you can make sense of God being omniscient, uh, even though God only has credences and no beliefs. Okay, so that's the, that's the credence-only view. Um, and, and then the final view that we talk about uh, is the knowledge-only view. And this is the one that I like the best. Um, the knowledge-only view says that God has no credences and no beliefs. Rather, God is directly aware of the facts in the world. They're uh, um, directly present to God's mind is the way uh, that Alston puts it, though I think he's like quoting... Part of that is phrase he uses, I think, is quoted from something else. But anyway, um, so the idea is that there are these facts that the world is made up of, and uh, God has just direct epistemic contact with them. Um, and so there isn't this mental state of like a belief or a credence that mediates between God's mind and the world. That's like the mechanism by which God knows. The world is just right there laid bare before God's consciousness. Um, and so uh, Alston's view is like, look, if you think that knowledge works this way, then it seems like it would just be superfluous at best for God to have these representational mental states like beliefs. He doesn't actually explicitly discuss credences, but it's in the spirit of his view to say God doesn't have credences either. And, and uh, he gives this analogy that says like, look, 
you know, when you're uh, trying to find your way, you might use a map. And the map helps by representing the world in certain ways. But once you get where you're going, you don't need the map anymore to tell you, okay, here's where you are. You know, you don't need the representation anymore because you're there. Um, and then he wants to say, well, similar for God, right? If God, if all the facts are just directly present to God, then God doesn't need this mental map of representational states to keep track of all the facts or, or, or to cognize them or something because they're right there. Okay, so that's that's the um, knowledge only view. Uh, yeah, I think that's great. Thanks. Um, so maybe now what we're gonna do is like, Liz, you want to present like the most plausible view in your mind. So you talked about like the belief in credence view. Maybe talk a little bit about like why it's your preferred view, and then we can just get into a little bit of like discussion. And Justin can push back, and it can be really nasty and mud sling and we'll have fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, yeah, so I I kind of touched on this already. So I do like the divine belief is credence one view. Um, so I'll say, and I also said this already, I think too, the view I defend about humans is the dualist view. Um, and then that's for a number of reasons, but partially because I think beliefs kind of help us represent something to be true, uh, even when, um, so... So, so beliefs help us, I guess, because we're cognitively limited agents and sometimes we aren't representing the exact probability of something. We're just sort of representing it to be true. And that can kind of simplify our reasoning in various ways. God doesn't need God's reasoning to be simplified, you know? Um, so, you know, there's a couple different arguments for dualism, but I think they make a lot more sense when applied to humans than when applied to God. And so I, you know, again, like we said, the belief first view is, or sorry, the, yeah, the belief first view is, we think like a decently plausible one, but I think the one I like the best is the divine belief is credence one view. Um, and I guess uh, that's for a couple of reasons. One is that it's compatible with both exhaustive definite foreknowledge and open theism, I think in pretty clear ways. So um, God can represent God's levels of competence. And if God has less than maximal confidence in certain propositions, um, we can see that through God's credence, but God won't believe those propositions. And then also, I like it because, again, it doesn't, God doesn't risk having a false belief uh, in cases where God, if open theism is true, and there's cases where God's credences are less than maximal. So the threshold, the divine threshold view would say that uh, God could believe something with without max, maximal credence in it. And again, that, that puts God in these situations where God would believe something, but there's a chance that it's false and that seems to compromise divine omniscience. So, um, so yeah, I like the, the divine belief is credence one view, uh, but Justin, I think has, has some worries about it. So I'm happy to, I'm excited to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I mean, here's, here's one worry I have about it. And I think that, so when we presented this paper somewhere, someone in the audience had a really, I think, good way of expressing this worry. They said something like this. I'm going to adapt it a little bit, but, you know, you wouldn't engage in a research project where the central question was, what is the relationship between Liz Jackson's beliefs and Liz Jackson's credences? Um, that seems like an odd research question. It seems like the research question that one would go for, and in fact, the one that philosophers have gone for is, what is the relationship between beliefs in general and credences in general? And the presupposition that you might think is underlying that choice of research question is that it's going to be the same for everybody, that however beliefs and credences are related for one person, they're going to be related in the same way 
for every other person. And so uh, you might think, well, okay, then however they work for us, that's how they're going to work for God as well. Um, which seems like it's sort of, I mean, so that's at least a prima facie reason to worry about, you know, this position that Liz takes, which says, well, for, for humans, it's dualism. For God, it's belief is credence one. Now, I actually think that there are two different versions of this objection. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if we want to, like, try to take them one at a time or if, I don't know. I mean, maybe... Uh, yeah, you should say the two versions because maybe my response will be different to different versions. Yeah, maybe it will. Or maybe it'll recover both of them. So, that, all right, let me just give the two versions. I'll try to be yeah, sure. right. Okay, so one version is you might think that um, on the view which says that, oh, well, credences, in this case, God's credences uh, are grounded in or identical to beliefs that meet certain conditions. Um, I, it seems to me like... You mean the opposite or... God's belief. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, I meant the opposite. Yeah, okay, it's okay. Yeah. It seems to me like that metaphysical relationship is a non-contingent one, and so it should be the same everywhere. It's a a bit like saying, like, okay, so if when you have particles arranged hippo-wise, that grounds the fact that there's a hippo, then it should always be the case that every time you have particles arranged hippo-wise, that grounds the fact that there's a hippo. It shouldn't be that like, well, sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. That seems really weird. It's like treating it as a a contingent connection rather than a necessary one. And it seems like it's a necessary one. So that's one version of the objection. Um, And then the second version, if if, if, if you wanna stop and just talk about that one, that's good. Otherwise, I'll, I'll just I'll the second one because I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the second one is a little bit, it has less to do with the contingency or non-contingency of the relationship. And it's more of just like an uh, abductive uh, consideration. So here's an example that Callum Miller uses in a completely different context. And actually, it's probably like a standard example in philosophy of science. I'm not sure. But um you know, suppose we've got, we're comparing two hypotheses, one that says all electrons are negatively charged and one that says all electrons except one of them are negatively charged. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. It seems like that second hypothesis is way, way less probable than the first one, other things being equal. Uh, there's a much stronger presumption against it than there is against the first one to, to just say, oh, well, there's this one weird exception, right? Now, that's a presumption that I think could be overcome by adequate evidence. But it seems to me you'd need a pretty good reason for saying, okay, there's an exception here. Um, and so, okay, so that's like the second version of the objection. All right, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like your objections are like very well thought through and clear. So uh, mine may not be this precise, but this is, no, this is great. This is great. Um, okay. There's a couple things I want to say, but also I just want to say, like, for all of this, like, I'm developing my thinking on this, so I've thought, like, a lot about the human case. Still, this is the first paper that we've written on the divine case, and actually, like, one of the first papers ever on, like, especially God's credences, so it's really new topics, so um, so I'm definitely still thinking through everything, but I do want to say a few things. So the first point, and maybe this is, like, an obvious point, but, like, this objection um, is a problem for the conjunction of two views, which is that for God, beliefs are credence one, 
for humans, uh, beliefs and credences don't reduce to each other, right? So those do happen to be the two views that I personally hold. But technically, it's actually not a problem for just the view that God's, uh, you know, God's uh, beliefs are creatures of one. So there are a number of people who defend the view that that's also the case for humans. And then there's various nuances they give to explain why it seems like we can uh, have less than maximal competence in our beliefs. And we don't need to get into all of that here necessarily. So I just want to maybe make the target of the objection clear. This isn't a full answer, but um, this isn't necessarily a problem for the view that divine credences are, uh, uh, sorry, divine beliefs are credences of one. So um, so yeah, I think it's, it's still an important thing for me personally to think about in terms of my views. Um, but I do think one thing you could do is if you really liked the divine uh, beliefs or credences of one view, you could also just hold mm -hmm. that view for the human case as well. So that would be like an easy, an easy workaround for that. Well, um, it's a workaround. Oh, yeah. uh, I feel like, I don't know how easy to, like, so couldn't the objection just be reframed as a dilemma? Like either you treat the two cases differently and then you have to deal with my objection or the objection yeah. that I just stated, or you treat them alike and then you have to deal with the objections to uh -huh credence or belief as credence one for humans which uh, yeah yeah i guess it depends on how plausible you think that view is um i could maybe like say something's in favor of it i yeah ultimately i i'm not convinced by those things but there is something really clean and simple about that view so i mean one thing you might think is like dualism is this very like it's not a simple view like there's beliefs there's credences there's some problems for it too like when we get evidence are we just updating our beliefs and our credences at the same time? Like, or is this really complicated thing happening in our brains? Like, it would be a lot easier if we just fundamentally had one attitude and then the other just sort of, we could just read it off of that. So there are reasons to, to like reductionist views, but then, especially if you like views on which the credences are the more fundamental ones, um, if you think there's some threshold where once the, once the credence meets that threshold, it becomes a belief, it's like, how do we set that threshold? Like, are you just gonna like slap it on at like 0.75? Like that just seems kind of ad hoc. And, you know, I don't know, it's just like this random threshold. And some people have suggested the inverse of the golden ratio. And I guess the golden ratio is this number found in, in, in nature that I don't know, has to do with these spiral thingies that I don't really understand. But um, the inverse of the golden ratio is like 0.6 something. So people have suggested maybe that's the threshold, but it does start to sort of look it's like, okay, like, why are you throwing the threshold there and not somewhere else, right? Um, and it's also weird, too, that you would have, like, this, you could have this tiny little bit of evidence and then go from withholding to believing, like, I don't know. So, so anyways, those kinds of considerations push people to say, look, if beliefs are just credences of one, there's just this really, it's just this really simple view. It's just this, look, belief is credence one, you don't have to worry about where the threshold is. That seems like a very non-ad hoc threshold that helps with like the lottery and the preface paradox stuff. Maybe not all the listeners will know what that is, but I don't know if I'm going to go into it here, but basically it helps with these other puzzles in epistemology. Um, and like, it just, it's just, it just, it's just, I don't know. Um, uh, it can capture this idea that it does seem like beliefs and, and credences of one we both have this tendency to treat them as true in our reasoning. Um, we both kind of, they both in some sense rule out the possibility of error. And so it can also capture that nicely. So I'm not, I don't hold this view <laughs> again. I'm kind of like, we're maybe, maybe what we can see ourselves as doing is we're exploring territory, but 
someone could be motivated by all these considerations to then accept the belief as credence one view for both people so, or for both for both god and humans both mm -hmm. people god is yeah, and then it sounded like you also had another response yeah yeah i'm yeah so okay I, i'm interested to think about like whether this would help with version one or version two or neither i don't know <laughs> but i do think it's worth thinking about um it seems weird to study Liz's credences and Liz's beliefs. I agree with that. But when it comes to God, it seems less weird to maybe make an exception or think that God might have some differences from us. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I think, you know, all else equal, maybe, and maybe this is kind of getting at your version two, like, it might be better to have a view that's unified across subjects, divine and human. But if you kind of have like some good reasons for dualism in the human case, some good reasons for um, a reductionist view in the divine case, I don't think it's that weird to think that God's mental states might differ from ours in certain ways. And um, I'm going to raise a similar objection to you as well. So maybe there's ways in which I think we both uh, struggle with this problem. But I think in the paper at certain points, we're like, hey, look, we want, um, God, like, we think that God and humans are cognitively similar in certain ways, and we have reasons to sort of prefer similarity. And I still think that. But I think at the same time, that's sort of a defeasible condition that can be overridden. Um, and I think that, like, God is cognitively perfect. God is omniscient. God has access to, like, all or almost all evidence, you know. And so God, there's a lot of features of God that just aren't features of us. And so I think... Um, in terms of views that look ad hoc, <laughs> the one that treats God differently than humans, I think is a lot less bad than one that's like, here's Justin's beliefs and credences, and then here's Liz's beliefs and credences, you know? So, so yeah, like there's, maybe it's like an almost equal thing where like, it's better to have a unified view than a non-unified one. But I think if you kind of have even like a little bit of reason to think uh, this ununified view is better than a unified view, then, um, then I think having God be the exception is by far the preferable way to do that. So that was sort of my second response. Yeah, I think this is actually a, a, a really good response to the second version with the electrons, mm -hmm. because it, I guess it kind of like, here's a, here's an intuition pump <laughs> response. It's sort of like, it's, it's like saying, well, we're, we're not really comparing, you know, all electrons are negatively charged to all but one are negatively charged because we're not talking about electrons. We're talking about persons say, and here's the thing about all persons. There's one person that is also a very different kind of thing than any of the other persons. And that's the one that I'm trying to say is different, right? The person that's also a divine being. And that, yeah, seems way less counterintuitive than saying all electrons except one are negatively charged. Um, yeah. And you, you can capture something in the spirit of um, the first, or sorry, like, I think there's an intuition behind the first version of your objection. I think you can capture something in the spirit of that intuition, which is that when it comes to humans, the relations between mental states are necessary. Um, but it wouldn't be that, like, the relation between all credences and all beliefs is, ne is necessary. So huh. it's not, yeah. I mean, one thing that's interesting too is like when I introduce this research to people, a lot of people are like, isn't that an empirical question? And they like want to bring in psychology and stuff. And I'm I, like, I totally agree that there's 
a lot to be said for the idea that the relation between these mental states should be necessary. On the other hand, it's hard, like, how do you make sense? Like, do we just think that psychology is not relevant to this? Or maybe psychology is telling us something about necessary truths. I don't know. But but Ooh. I'm I'm thinking through um, how to kind of fit all of this together. So I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, actually, so it occurs to me that um, on your preferred view of the human case, dualism, that dualism actually seems to fit really nicely with the view that this is like an empirical question or partly mm -hmm. an empirical question. Because mm -hmm. since there isn't a reduction relationship or a grounding relationship and so forth, there isn't a relation between them of the kind that we normally take to be non-contingent. Yeah. Um, so actually, sorry, this um, this question has now occurred to me because of it. So could you say that something kind of like divine dualism is true of God? It's just that God's beliefs, though they don't reduce to credences of one, God only forms a belief when God has a credence of one. Yeah, I actually talk about this in my, not about the God part, but um, in my Phil Compass paper on the relationship between belief and credence, I say like, look, like dualism in some sense is actually a pretty weak claim because it's just this claim about reducibility, but like dualism doesn't automatically mean that your beliefs and credences can just like float free completely in every case. You could have a view that like they kind of march in step. So like in the same way that every animal, what is it that has a heart also has a kidney or whatever, but we're not like, hearts having like having a heart just isn't a function of having kidneys or vice versa they just happen to go together you could totally have a view that's a really interesting suggestion actually that uh god's beliefs and credences actually don't reduce to each other but god's credences of one and beliefs march in step or something yeah. um, and then it wouldn't be i think tell me if this sounds right would it be as weird to say they don't march in step for humans because that just is like or what do you yeah, because I, I'm thinking in the case of God, it's God's perfection which explains why they're correlated. Because yeah. think about the reasons that we give for the correlation. We don't want God's beliefs to be found <laughs> things like that, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe, maybe this is my new view. <laughs> we should look back at our paper and see whether the objections to divine dualism work against this version of it. Because I don't remember off the top of my head what they all were. Yeah, I mean, you could just say, like, it's sort of weird that they march in step, but there are these independent things. Like, why would you have both? And maybe you could just, like, motivate it from the back door and be like, well, look, it really seems like dualism is true for humans. And then Justin just gave us these excellent reasons for thinking uh, there should be a parallel or a symmetry there. I don't know. But, yeah, that would be interesting. Maybe maybe we'll get get the the philosophical fuel to, to write a new paper here. Yeah. So, uh, can I suggest that since your first objection to my view is thematically related to this one, and yeah. since, you know, we have limited time just to make sure we both get a chance to give each other a hard time, maybe next you should raise your first objection to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I, so Justin filled out the doc first, but I already had kind of my objections planned and then we both kind of like the same objection to each other so um so it's it's funny because we yeah uh, we have different views but maybe they do suffer from some of the same issues so so yeah um <laughs> first objection like you said is pretty similar to your first objection and it sort of starts with this idea that like human knowledge 
is almost surely not direct acquaintance with all facts because we just don't have direct acquaintance with all facts. And it seems like there's lots of things we know, even though we're not directly acquainted with them. So again, plausibly, I know my car is parked in front of my house, but I'm not like directly perceiving that in any sense. That's just based on the memory that I have. Um, so, so another way of sort of putting this is that humans have some kind of mechanism by which we represent things to be true. We have beliefs. <laughs> uh, that's like the simple way of saying this, right? Um, so, so I know there is a pedigree of people sort of drawing on this tradition of, of knowledge as direct acquaintance, but I don't know. It seems like it would lead to like a kind of skepticism where we really don't know much uh, because we're just really not directly acquainted with with much, at least at a time. Um, and so the thought is like, look, if this knowledge, this isn't, this, this probably isn't human knowledge, at least if we don't want to be skeptics. So why think God's knowledge is so different than the human case? And I can kind of push, I think a similar line to what you were pushing. I don't, I didn't think about two versions of this like you did. Maybe I could do that. But I think one thought is just, what is knowledge? Like the definition of knowledge you would like to think wouldn't be indexed to to Liz or to Justin or to God. Uh, you would think the definition of knowledge would sort of hold for for all subjects that are knowers. So that's yeah. kind of the first objection. As you can see, it's more about knowledge, but also very related to your first objection. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're right. It seems like you could take it in the same two directions mm -hmm. as as my objection. So like one version of it could say, well, it seems like facts about knowledge should be grounded in facts about you know true, justified, ungettiered belief across the board and not just in some cases and not others, right? And that's like the, the grounding objection, version of the objection or whatever, right? Or you could say, um, even setting that kind of worry aside, like, well, look, all electrons are negatively charged is way more probable a priori than all but one. So all knowledge is like this is way more... <laughs> probable a priori than all knowledge except for God's knowledge, you know, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So, so I, I guess <laughs> I have a couple of thoughts here. Um, one is that um, I think that, uh, so one of the, the things that mo motivates this view of knowledge, it's certainly what motivates Alston and part of what motivates me is that this seems like the kind of knowledge appropriate for a perfect being. And God is a perfect being like by definition, at least in the sense of God that, that we normally use the term. And so it seems like there is a really good reason to, to overcome the presumption against the, the exception, whereas there's not one in the case of electrons, right? Or at least that's, that's one thought. It's like, okay, well, we have a good reason. And more generally, I think the ways, it seems to me the ways in which God tends to differ from us are ways in which God is more perfect than us. And so um, that makes me think, okay, this is one of the places where we should see a difference between, between God and us, I guess. Um, but that's mo mostly relevant to like the electrons version of the objection. Now, I think that the other version is super interesting too. And I think, well, I think there's maybe two things I could say here. One thing I could say is something that um, I think some Thomists, like say Tyler McNabb said this once in response to a, a different objection to something else, but it was, uh, it was, um, well, maybe, you know, God doesn't have knowledge in the literal or ordinary sense of the term. 
what God has is epistemic perfection. And epistemic perfection involves something analogous to what we call knowledge. And so because we're, you know, just trying to speak English and not have to be too technical about everything, we just call it knowledge, right? Um, but it's actually like just, you know, something knowledge-like. I see that as one possibility. Another possibility is, well, maybe there are two different kinds of knowledge. Because like you mentioned, there are these two different traditions in epistemology, the belief plus tradition and the like direct contact tradition. And you might just think, okay, well, there are two different kinds of epistemic phenomena, both of which have gotten the name knowledge latched onto them. And uh, one of them is more epistemically uh, perfect than the other. And so that's the one that God has um, and in its most perfect form. And that might be a way of dealing with the, the grounding sort of worry, I guess. Um, or the, the, I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be fleshed out in terms of grounding, but you know what I mean. Yeah, the necessary connection. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the, the yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, th this is interesting. I So, like, I'm interested in a couple things. So the first thing I was thinking is, like, how many of these answers can also be applied to, like, help yeah. with my view? <laughs> Maybe that's selfish, but, uh, but yeah, it would be interesting if, like, God didn't actually have beliefs and credences in this, or, like, there's either, I guess you could say there's two kinds of beliefs and credences. Maybe that's not as plausible as there being two kinds of knowledge, but maybe it's like this thing that's analogous to, to beliefs and credences, but does like kind of function differently. Um, and then like has this relationship similar to the belief as credence one view, but is not like the same kind of thing. So, so that would be interesting if I don't, I, I'm like kind of speaking off the cuff here, so I would want to think more about how you would develop this, but it would be interesting if there was a way to kind of apply the epistemic perfection point to my views as well. The other thing I was kind of just thinking about, partially in virtue of the fact that we both raise similar objections to each other, is like, it kind of seems to me like, just as a general thought, like when you're kind of engaging in this sort of like philosophical questions to like not be relying too much on the symmetry stuff, but also not going too far in the asymmetry direction. I kind of think there's like this balance that needs to be had. Cause I think, I mean, at first I think we were both like maybe a little more gung ho on like symmetry, symmetry, symmetry. And then yeah. we both ended up kind of taking views where there's a little more asymmetry. And that doesn't mean we like don't value symmetry at all either. I think it just means you kind of have to, think like, okay, like maybe God is similar to us in certain ways. And especially if you're in a tradition where God's like personal, that gives us additional reason to think that there's some similarities, but God's also God. You know? So, so there's going to be differences as well. Maybe that's like a boring point, but I guess the point is just, you don't want to go too far on either extreme. Yeah. I think, I think that's a really important point and it, it's tough. Like, I, I mean, I, this is more or less just repeating something that you said, I think, but it is difficult to say, like, okay, how far should we go with the symmetry versus, yeah. Um, so I actually was talking to a colleague this morning, was telling him about that we were going to be having this conversation. And he, he asked uh, what your view was and what my view was. Nice. And he said, this, is, this, is, uh, this will show that he seems to like my view better. But he said, oh, so... She thinks God is more like man, and you think God is more like God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> uh, yeah, you could say the same thing about, like, classical theism, though. I don't know. Like, you know, it's like, it's like you want to, again, like, you want there to be differences. But, like, I don't think you're either of us are classical theists. I, I, I don't think. Yeah. So it's like, you can also take that so far that you're like, 
God is just this like holy other, you know, I don't know. So yeah, <laughs> no, that was that was only a joke. I wasn't no 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 I know I know. <laughs> um, I did think it was hilarious though, and I was like, I need to tell her that. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe your view is like this like kind of nice middle ground, and my view is like too grounded or like too human-y. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, or it could be yours yeah. is the the nice middle ground and mine was too far and on the other right. Yeah. Um, That's, true. That's true. I do think a lot of people, like when we first did the video with Jordan, they were like, this seems weird. This seems weird. This seems weird. And then they heard the knowledge only view and they were like, that makes sense, you know? So I think maybe for, for reasons of like, God is, should be different or something. I think, I think there are people that sided with you. Of course, not everyone, but, but yeah. I will say that's a nice point in favor. And I'll also say, I like the knowledge only view. I think it's a lot better than some of the other views. So it's, you know, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought. Um, my second objection is more just a question and it's partially because, uh, I, or is it, can I move on? Sorry, Zach, did you want to add anything? Yeah, I think, I think everything's fine so far. So yeah. Awesome. Great. So I'm just going to sort of raise the last point and it's not really, I think any kind of knockout objection. I don't even think it's an objection, but when Justin and I were, were talking actually, pretty near the end of writing this paper, I sort of raised this question to him and it actually really helped me, I think, understand um, some things about the knowledge only view. So when earlier in this uh, interview, I was talking about how I think it's better if a view can fit, doesn't make you commit to other things, uh, controversial things in other views. So for example, uh, the view of divine beliefs, credence and knowledge you take it's better if that fits with both open theism and the exhaustive definite foreknowledge views than if it forces you to commit to one or the other. Um, and so I was interested in, you know, on the knowledge only view, God doesn't have beliefs, but also probably God doesn't have credences because uh, why would, that would be really weird if God had like only credences, not, you know, so it's like God doesn't have representational things, credences are probably representational. So God only has knowledge. So how does the knowledge only view accommodate the idea that God might be less than certain um, in, in certain propositions. So I think there's an interesting and plausible answer to this, but I wanted to give Justin a chance to kind of explain that. Yeah. So here's the way I think about it. So there are two versions of open theism, uh, uh, at least on one way of carving them up. So uh, one version says that there are truths about future contingents, about like, you know, well, will I have Cheerios or Fruit Loops for breakfast tomorrow or whatnot? Um, but that God uh, cannot know them. It's like impossible to know them ahead of time, or at least it's impossible for, for an infallible being to know them ahead of time. And so um, instead, God just knows the objective chances, like, you know, the objective chance that I will choose Fruit Loops is 0.99, um, because they have all and only the six traditional colors of the color wheel. So obviously... Um, I, I decided I had to mention that again, because I mentioned it in our previous interview on this topic, so. Fruit Loops are bomb. Fruit yeah. Loops are really good. Although, do Fruity Pebbles, I feel like Fruity Pebbles have a lot of colors, but. They have, uh, an extra. They have, in addition to the six, they have, like, pink. Ah, and so it's all and only, that's key. Yeah, they violate the and only. Yeah, I'm not, we should talk more about this maybe later, but I don't know about and only. I kind of like, I kind of think the more colors the better, but. Anyway. Let's do a whole episode on colors of Fruit Loops. So <laughs> Breakfast cereal debate. I feel like this would be a hit. 
So on the knowledge, or sorry, on the yeah, on the knowledge only view, if you want a version of it that's analogous to that kind of open theism, what you would say, I think, is that it's just impossible for God to be acquainted with those future contingents, whether they exist, like the event exists out there in the world, or whether they're just propositions about them that instantiate being true. Uh, you would say. For whatever reason the open theist gives for thinking that God can't know those things, you would just say, for that reason, God can't be acquainted with those facts. But God can be acquainted with the facts about the objective chances. And so God is acquainted with the fact that the objective chance that I will eat Cheerios is, or, or uh, Fruit Loops is 0.9 or something like that. Um, Can the I other... about that? Sorry. Yeah. Just really briefly. But like, so God, so it's still, it's still, is it representational or not? It's not. It's just a direct acquaintance that's not knowledge. Or can you say a little more about so knowledge? So is it just it's just acquaintance without knowledge? I guess? Are you talking about God's acquaintance with the objective chances? Or sorry. Oh, it's that God knows the objective chance is p so it's embedded in the content. Yeah, it's part of what God's acquainted with. Yeah, so like I see, I see. Whatever an objective chance is, that's some kind of fact in the world, and God is acquainted with that fact, right? I don't know what kind of a fact that is. It could be a fact about the propens, like the dispositions of objects, right? It could be right. a fact about something to do with like possible worlds or sets of possible, you know, I don't know. But whatever that is, God's directly acquainted with that. It, that would be the idea. Yeah. And then the other version of open theism says that there just are no truths about future contingents. Uh, there just is no truth about, you know, whether I will eat um, Fruit Loops tomorrow. And so on this view, there's nothing for God to be acquainted with. Um, but again, there is still the objective chance for God to be acquainted with. Um, like, you know, that there's a 0.9 objective chance that I'll eat Fruit Loops. That's, I think, the, the best way to be both a, a um, you know, a, a knowledge-only person and an open theist. One of those two versions. Yeah. So you're kind of embedding the probabilistic feature into the content of what is known. And then that was actually sort of similar to the belief first view. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think... I think so. I have I have actually papers where I raise problems for this kind of move in the human case. So some people want to say like we don't have credences, we just have beliefs about probabilities or something. Yeah. Um, I think there's a number of problems for that kind of view in the human case, but they actually all have to do with certain limitations or uh, like cog like cognitive things we like can't do because they're really hard for us or something, and those wouldn't apply to the divine case. Actually, now that I'm refreshing we mentioned this in the paper when talking about the belief first view so um so that that wouldn't apply to god even if it would uh, be a reason to be skeptical for humans which brings us back to our symmetry asymmetry discussion but yeah yeah, yeah so um i think we've got a few minutes C can i raise my other objection is how oh, did you not raise it oh no, I, I only raised the first one we moved to yours because it was like similar Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. No, do it. Okay. I'll try to be quick about this because I know you have to go. But um, so my other objection is roughly like, hey, look, the um, direct awareness or direct acquaintance kind of picture of God's knowledge is the right picture of knowledge for a perfect being. 
And if God has that, then it's just superfluous to say that God has representational mental states like beliefs and credences. There's just no point to saying that God has those. <laughs> um, and so obviously there are two key premises there that could be rejected. One is that isn't the perfect the form of knowledge, right? And the other is, uh, you know, well, it's not superfluous to, or it doesn't matter if it's superfluous to us, or maybe there's like three premises, but anyway. But let me just say something briefly about the first step, about the why, why is this the perfect way of knowing? One I already mentioned is that like, you might think this kind of pure direct epistemic contact with the world is a better form of epistemic contact than something more indirect. But then also, I think that it's important, like, so when we think about a perfect being and its knowledge, you know, traditionally, a perfect being is omniscient, it knows everything. And there are some facts which it's prima facie difficult to see how uh, they could be known, or at least how they could be known infallibly, particularly if there can't be like a deterministic causal connection between God's mind and the fact. Um, and we're trying to get like, uh, you know, infallible knowledge. But you don't you you get uh, around worries about those sorts of causal connections if you're just allowed to say, oh, there's this direct acquaintance relation or direct awareness relation instead of there having to be a causal connection. And so it the view seems to me to make it easy to explain the scope of a perfect being's knowledge as well. Mm. Yeah, no, that's actually really helpful because that was actually going to be one of my first responses was going to be, okay, so why is this kind of knowing more perfect? So, so that's, that's really helpful. I like the point about direct. I mean, I, I have the intuition that there's something better about it being direct than it being indirect, or at least mediated. Maybe that's similar to indirect, but, but yeah, so I'm, I'm sympathetic there. I don't know. Actually, yeah, I don't know if I have any objections to that. That's a good point. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of my responses to sort of the objection in general, uh, I don't want to keep hashing this out. I was, my first response was just like, look, we have beliefs. And so if you think there are certain symmetry principles between us and God, there's a reason to think God has beliefs. We actually also talk about this in the paper. Um, and so then again, I think, I mean, maybe you have more to say about this. You should totally respond if you want to. But this just kind of brings us back to this question of like, how much weight do we give the fact that we have beliefs in terms of when we're trying to understand God? And I think you could respond and say, well, maybe we have beliefs, but like, it doesn't mean God has beliefs because there's this, per like, because in, in virtue of God's perfection, um, there's kind of this difference or something. So I do think, though, that like, depending on how, like, depending on whether you buy that this is like perfection and then depending on how much you weight, put weight you put on certain symmetry principles, it seems to me that there is kind of a give and take there. And yeah. that someone that was more committed to a certain symmetry principle and maybe less convinced that beliefs were some kind of imperfection because they were uh, maybe a mediator or something. Um, yeah. you know, I, and like, it is really natural to talk about God's beliefs. I mean, I think it's even more natural to talk about God's knowledge, but like God believes that we're recording video right now. God believes, I mean, it, it's like kind of weird that you basically have to deny that <laughs> you might think, um, and, and, and believes, we also use the word thinks, uh, sometimes we're natural in English than believes, but I think they kind of mean the same thing. Yeah. So you might think like, God thinks that it's going to rain tomorrow or something that might sound better than God believes. I don't know. Um, so yeah, I think, 
I think, I guess what I'm trying to say is you have a nice story and I like the story and I like what you said about the perfection of direct contact. I also think there's some kind of intuitive and maybe even like default pull to the idea that God has beliefs. Yeah. So, so there's a back and forth there. Yeah, there's like a tug of war between these intuitions. You know, actually, I also have an objection to myself. Um, <laughs> Do it. <laughs> yeah. So actually, something I've been thinking about recently is in addition to being attracted to the knowledge only view, I'm also attracted to this other view that's in some tension with it, I think. Mm -hmm. um, not direct conflict, but some tension. The view that propositions are divine mental states. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, interesting. And so, if you think that propositions are divine mental states, then you end up saying that God has representational mental states. Now, by itself, that doesn't give that doesn't entail that God has attitudes towards those representations like the attitudes of belief or confidence, but it starts to look a little bit more like, well, why not? Once you say God has those. And also it kind of, you know, if you end up saying God has those representational states, it kind of undermines the argument, the super superfluity argument, like, well, you don't need them if you're, if you're, and so one thought I have about this is like, so Travis Dickinson has a paper where he develops a model of God's knowledge that is basically like Alston's direct aw awareness stuff. But in addition to that, there are representational states that God has. Mm. And, and he argues that's actually the most perfect kind of knowledge. You have the direct contact and you conceptualize the facts that you're in contact with. And I like that view, but I guess it's technically moving away from knowledge only to something more like this cool aspect of the knowledge only view, but plus the other stuff that you need for traditional knowledge and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. This is, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no. I, yeah. So I'm just, so that's an objection to myself that does actually make me doubt my knowledge only commitment and, I, it does not. It, so the, the thing that I'm most committed to is the there being direct acquaintance. What I'm finding myself much less sure about is, but are there also no representational states, I guess? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think this is like sort of a better version of my second response. But I was sort of just thinking about like, maybe when you're thinking about humans and like maybe if you're PVI, when you're thinking about like objects or something, like you want it to be like simpler is better, you know? Like uh, we really value parsimony. We want to pose less things rather than more. We don't want to make human minds like overly complicated to the point where it's like not plausible that we have that many concepts or we have that many beliefs or we have, you know, that, that we don't like, it's not that complex, you know, or whatever. Um, but I don't think, again, symmetry, asymmetry, that we don't have to rely on like these extreme principles of parsimony when thinking about God and God's mind, like God's limitless, God's all powerful and all knowing. And it would be weird to think like the simpler, the better for God, or like, uh, you know, the best way to conceptualize God's mind is like with the fewest mental states possible. I think that's intention or, or you don't want to take that too far and say like, God has all these meaningless mental states that don't do any work. Um, that that would be, I think, uh, maybe pushing on the almost almost to getting to the point where that's an imperfection. 
But I don't think we need to just say like, God has the fewest mental states that we can possibly get away with. And, and that's it. So, yeah. so I actually really, I like the view that propositions are divine mental states. Also, I think spelling the details of that out could, can be tricky. I don't really work on that, but, um, but I like there are features of that view. I really like, and I think actually the Dickinson view is really interesting because it's kind of like let a thousand flowers bloom. And as long as we can tell a story about like why God has a direct acquaintance, but also has the representations, maybe the grounding propositions, maybe there's other stuff that Dickinson talks about there too. You're more familiar with this literature than me. Um, then maybe we just want to have it all, <laughs> say, yeah. embrace all of it. I don't know. I see. Yeah. I guess I think that, so I'm, I'm actually more pro, like whatever parsimony principles are true there, we should still use them when we're thinking about God. But I think that the way I think about them fits reasonably well with your comments just now, or I guess objection or whatever, uh, if it counts as an objection. Um, and that's because, so I like Paul Draper's view that simplicity and parsimony kinds of principles are actually rooted in uniformity, pref preferring principles. And so, and my view following people like Draper and Swinburne and Rasmussen and, you know, is that like the, the, um, the omni properties are actually like maximal uniformities. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's actually in keeping with the, the parsimony principles to say that God has, but there are other uniformities as well that speak in favor of the kinds of points that you've been making, like, uh, you know, saying that God's mind is like our mind in having, you know, beliefs and credences, like that's a uniformity, right? So, uh, yeah, anyway, so you end up having to like balance this uniformity against that one and yeah. Totally, yeah, and and to be clear, I wasn't trying to say like there's principles of parsimony that we just reject when it comes to God. It's just more that like whatever those principles are, I think they should make space for this idea that, that God is limitless and maybe not even count against this idea that God has knowledge of direct acquaintance and also representations or something. Like, I see, yeah. Should, yeah, so maybe it's just like more like we should be careful about how we're we're formulating them. Um, and I also actually sometimes think with humans, we can even take the parsimony stuff too far. So I actually think our brains are are pretty complex, our minds are pretty complex. And so we shouldn't always just prefer this the simpler, like the less mental states that humans have the better view either. Um, but kind of what I was saying there was like, we also need to keep in mind that we have cognitive limitations and then God does it. So then that would be an important difference. So. So just wanted to clarify that. But yeah, I think we're, we're largely on the same page. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, this also makes me think of a point that Mark Murphy has made about divine perfection. His view is that uh, we don't want to just say God has all the perfections. We also want to say that God doesn't have any essential properties that aren't perfections because that makes God purely perfect. It's, mm -hmm. you know, God's essence is all and only perfect, you know, going back to the all and only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And so, uh, I mean, that's maybe another way to try to motivate the superfluity sort of worry, I guess. Mm. But, um, I don't know. Uh, another way of responding, though, is just to say, okay, well, then that then insofar as we have reasons to think that God does have representational mental states, we have reasons to think that they're not superfluous. And maybe we don't know why, but, you know, that that's a different question, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry. Yeah, well, that seems no. That all that all seems that all seems right to me. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about on the Dickinson picture. So you gave one, which is that 
they're like grounding propositions, but like, is there other plausible work that representations would be doing if it's not contributing to knowledge? So yeah, so, something to think more about. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Dickinson thinks that they're. Um, he thinks that God, in order for God to actually have knowledge of the things God is acquainted with, you also need the representational states, and. Um, I think we express some skepticism about that in the paper, but yeah, if, if there's like some other story about why it would be good, or, I mean, maybe, maybe you could even just say like, look, they're not necessarily for necessary for knowledge, but they do make God's epistemic situation even better to have both the direct acquaintance and the conceptual carving up of the world. Like there's just something about that in itself that's epistemically valuable. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> interesting. Okay. Cool. Well, we're done. <laughs> yeah, well, this has been great. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed just listening to you guys talk. And um, thank you for being nice to each other. I know you're not like friends or anything, but um, so thank you for being nice. I appreciate yeah, that. It made my life a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so. before, we, before we quit, do you have a favorite view? It's okay if not. I think, and this is just me not being a philosopher, but just looking at it. I like the knowledge. I lean towards knowledge only because it just goes with my natural like, intuition, sorry, Liz. Where I'm just like, well, God just like knows everything. You need to know the future. I know you can cry. I don't care. Um, so, <laughs> um, so that's just like my natural intuitions. But I mean, obviously, I need to study this a lot more. So that's yeah. just where I'm at. So. My view, on my view, you can say that God knows everything. <laughs> God's knowledge is a feature of God's belief. And, mm -hmm. and, and I just think it's simple. You know, anyways, so that's where I'm leaning. But, you know, I, I, I have room to grow. I can be persuaded. So I'm not, I'm not super dogmatic. <laughs> All right, I'm not like Justin Moody and super dogmatic and never going to ever change my mind. So, you know, it's okay. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. I both really, I've really enjoyed listening to this conversation and it's been great. So thank you so much, Justin. And thank you so much, Liz. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. And thank you everyone for tuning in. There's links down below for how you can follow Justin and Liz. And if you're new here, I always encourage you to subscribe, leave a like and all that fun stuff. But that's it for today. Thank you and God bless.